Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of the ESPN Footy Pod. Just three weeks to go, Jake Michaels, uh, and well, two and a half weeks to go until the end of the season. Things are getting uh, quite interesting at the pointy end after we had a, well, we had one final on Friday night that was, it, it is what it was, and we had one on Saturday night which was worthy of a, a prelim or a grand final action in itself. It was. Uh, do you remember what I said last week on the podcast? You'll have to remind us if, you, if you're going to gloat. <laughs> well, I did say it was going to play like a prelim. And uh, I think I said the dogs by four points and it would yeah. come down to the last play of the game. And it, it, what a game it was. Like, seriously, I know everyone was pretty, pretty chuffed with it. And I was sitting on the couch watching and I was so nervous because <laughs> I, I didn't know who I wanted to win, but I just felt like you felt like you were in, so invested in that game. And uh, I was, you didn't want to see a loser. It was fantastic. Um, I guess the, the big takeaway now is what's happened with the bond. Uh, the last couple of minutes of that game, hopefully for, from the Bulldogs, for the Bulldogs sake, he's able to play uh, this week. Cause it'd be a huge sake, Jake. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it'd be a huge shame if he's, if he's unable to, to suit up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Christian Jolly from Champion Data. In games like that, I, I rewatched the last five minutes about six times on the night. Um, just had to go back and just take in all the action. Do you ever find yourself getting distracted when you're, when you're calling or, or focusing on games like Saturday Night Semi where it's just so action-packed and engrossing that you lose focus on your actual job? Uh, I don't know. Not, not really. No, um, he's a professional. <laughs> not like us. It, it is. Sometimes, I mean, this was, this was noticeable and yeah, definitely in, um, engrossed and entrenched in this game. And I was, I was working on it back calling, but usually it's, it, it's so minuscule a detail that you're, you're just looking at every, did he kick it? Did he, was he tackled? Is it, there's a handle. There's a lot of games I've done where I couldn't tell you what really happened. Sometimes I don't really remember who won, like things like, you know, in the part, it's more, you, you sort of lose yourself in the minuscule part of it. So uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's a chance that you lose focus on the game, but yeah, this was, this was definitely one game. You sort of could feel that. And I said it, I just kept saying that and joked about it on the pod. I'm like, everyone tries to measure momentum. Well, this is the game you'd grab to try to measure it because it seemed to be mm. whatever momentum is. There was eight momentum swings because it was mm. Brisbane. And then it was Bulldogs for a couple of goals in a row. And it was just that period in the late in the first quarter. Was it where it was just goal after goal from the center, center clearance. Mm. It was, it was the, the polar opposite. Polar opposite of the night before. Yeah. Um, no, it was a, it was a, it was a cracker. Do you, do you have to go back then, Christian, and just watch it to appreciate it as, as a footy fan instead of looking at it through the lens of champion data? Oh, 100%. Um, and, yeah, as much as you know, you, you guys talk about the, the commentary and things like that, just listening to it with the commentary and the app because we don't even, you know, half the time, depending on it's the audio from our, um, our box at the ground, so half the time you don't hear the, the crowd either. The crowd and the commentary just adds to it. So sometimes you sort of... Yeah, you, you get you definitely appreciate it more when you watch it with the commentary in the crowd rather than listening to our call and doing it. Even though you know you're sitting with five other people that are getting pretty excited because it's a close game, but um, yeah, and definitely sort of you know Brisbane staff. I think there was a couple couple of Brisbane supporters in the background doing interchange and matchups. So you can hear their excitement and their frustration late in the game when you know there's no interchange moves being made, so they're just they're barracking for the last minute or so. But no, as I said, it's as Jake joked about, I think it was all professional. I don't think the, the way the game's captured doesn't change. Yep. Um, but as I said, yeah, it was definitely a very exciting night. Bit of a question without notice, sort of on a similar vein, but have you ever called or back called moments 
um, where you've had to go back. And then when you've watched them back, you've gone, holy hell, that was like the moment. Like, are there any games uh, that sort of stand out? Uh, a funny one, um, 2009 grand final uh, was the... The little toe poke. Pretty sure, yeah. It was the, the first grand final I called. So I was actually the ground caller and the main guy sort of at the ground. It was the first one I'd done. Uh, and it wasn't so much the toe poke. I, you could see that happening. The the, the Gary Ablett uh, or the kick to Gary Ablett. I um, can't remember who it was now. Chapman, was it? No, yeah, Chapman kicked the goal. Right over his head. And I'm like, oh, this is going, you know, straight over. Yeah, it was sort of, thought they were going to turn it over and it was going to go straight down the other end. But he sort of got that, that yeah. you know, the, the toe poke and they got the ball back. And then someone asked me on the Monday, they said, did you pay the Varco, was it Varco or Chapman knock-on in the goal square again? My memory yeah. uh, doesn't. And I just... I said, I don't, I don't remember. And they said, it was the most important knock-on of the year. Did you call it? Or did you remember calling it? I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember. And they're like, you better call it. They went back and I definitely called it. But I didn't, again, you were just calling bits and pieces of the play. I sort of must have called it and just forgotten about that because it was. It was about the toe poke. It was about the goal. It was about everything else around it. Um, but, yeah, that's sort of an example of something that I clearly had called and other people had said how important it was, but I sort of had, hadn't really noticed it. Uh, another other one is yeah, driving home and just hearing the frustration of free kicks and the umpires and not no, not noticing anything when you're doing the game and most of the free kicks I see, not you've got to guess what the umpire's calling, but you've got to be a slight step ahead of you know I think that's going to be a high free kick against Blood. Yep, it looks like it is, and you go back check the vision. So most of the times I see the free kicks is like you think they're a bit soft, but I see them. Then they're not usually that they're phantom free kicks that you just don't mm. see, but then you jump on. Yeah, listening to I've I have a rule that you can't of supporters of umpires. It's like it didn't see it like it wasn't that noticeable, surely. Like, yeah. I have a rule that you can't complain about free kicks for your team. You can do it with that. You can watch other games. Like I, I watched that book, the Bulldogs Bombers game, and I I think I said on the pod pod at the time was I was a bit disappointed because I felt that that the bombers were stitched up a little bit and it sort of affected the game. It shouldn't have been a 50 point margin. But you can't have a you can't, you're so one sided when you're watching your team and it just you, you can't criticize yeah. the umpires because you 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 don't really look. I feel like I've never watched a game and thought the umpires favoured a team. I've I've definitely watched a game where I thought, oh, the rules for holding the ball have changed this game compared to other games. Yep. But yep. I I don't know. I just I don't see it with that that way. I've never have like I've never seen umpires influencing results. This is good. This kind of lends to what we're going to be doing next week, Jake. Uh, the Ask Champion Data Week. So. We did this. Uh, episode. Was it was it the year before or last year or both? I can't even remember. I now we, we do them once a, a year or so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where if you guys have any questions for Christian or for the Champion Data team, uh, let us know at Footy Tips on Twitter uh, or use the hashtag uh, yeah, the hashtag Ask Champion Data, all one word. Uh, and if you get them in this week, uh, we can try and get them answered on on next week's episode um, because we've got the bye week next week, Jake. So we'll have a bit of time to dissect and, and take in all the best questions, whether it's something about what Champion Data does with the back calling and the calling of games, um, definitions of, of, of stats, what they plan to do, future stats or past stats or anything that's changed over the time. Whatever you have, um, get it into us at Footy Tips or hashtag Ask Champion Data. And we can do our best to get it answered on next week's podcast. Jake, before we jump into another big episode, though, something interesting or quirky or something that grabbed your attention from the weekend? Uh, I don't know if it was interesting, but it was after that. <laughs> Move it on then. Going back to that. Um, Not interesting. The Bulldogs game, that Bailey Smith goal at the end. Um, and, and it's funny you're talking about going back and watching things. I went back and watched that goal and paused it at the moment. He was sort of sticking it up the fans. 
and I counted seven, uh, pausing the TV, I counted seven different people flipping him the bird. <laughs> and I, thought, I just had a bit of a laugh. I thought, I just love the, the standing two meters away from him, giving him the finger and with not a worry or care in the world. And it just, yeah, I just kind of cracked up at that. But I saw no. that. There's, there's one of the guys that looks like he's storming down the stairs as he's giving the bird. And I reckon he trips on the last stair if you want to go back. It just looks like something. <laughs> he sort of just at the end of it, he sort of loses his uh, momentum and has a little bit of a stumble. But yeah, it's all the same thing. <laughs> there are <laughs> things Bailey, like I think that. Bailey Smith saw the same thing too, which just amped oh, he would He would oh, lap that up too, yeah. wouldn't he? He would love that. Um, Christian, something from the weekend. Uh, yeah, the one thing I noticed Friday night straight away that there was GWS had a crowd at, in Perth. So impressed. I don't know. Where did that come from? Obviously, Sydney, New South Wales in lockdown and WA is not taking anyone over. So they're not traveling fans. Um, yeah, was it just because genuine GWS fans in Perth? Good on the club for sort of finding a fan base there. Weathered that hats and jackets there. Yeah, some weathered hats and jackets. I thought maybe they were actually, you know, they just shipped them over or something, but they looked like they were organic fans. Jake. Yeah, I was thinking maybe they were just uh, West Coast or Freo fans. I think I guess you're probably kind of sick of Geelong a little bit. So I don't know. But yeah, I'm sure they got a couple spread around the country. Um, something I noticed, going back to actually the moment that you were talking about, Jake, the Bailey, that Bailey Smith um, goal. I had to, and I said, I went and watched back uh, about five times, sort of the last few minutes. The composure and the the ball drop and the kicking action for a bloke under that pressure in, in the, the wrong pocket for a right footer, obviously. So he's used his opposite foot um, momentum sort of heading towards that pocket. And just the way it came off the boot, I, I looked at that and I thought, ah, oh, well, he's just got to score. He's just got to sneak it in for a point. And it's gone off the boot and you sort of, your eyes flash to the goal umpire and the goal umpire is just doing his little squat there and isn't moving. And you're thinking, Oh, he's absolutely nailed this. Um, what a kicking style that is on, on an opposite foot. I don't know. You can kind of tell when players are kicking on their opposite foot. If, if you're not too sure if someone's a left footer or a right footer, you look and you go, oh, that's clearly the opposite foot. But for, for Smith, I think that was just as, as good as it gets. And it well, was, um, he, he was, he played a fantastic final quarter, a couple of goals, I think you know, about nine touches, uh, a couple of tackles. Uh, he was really good. He, he, him, I think I was saying before, I think his last quarter, along with Jack McRae, that moment to start the fourth quarter where he took a, Two things he doesn't often do, take a contested mark and kick a goal, and he did both of them. And I thought that really sort of got the dogs up, particularly after Johannesson had missed on the three-quarter time siren. So, um, yeah, I think those two, huge amount of credit. And as we said off the top, let's hope that the Bont can play this week because you know, we already had a game without a star in Toby Green. It'd be a massive shame if, if the Bulldogs were without Bont. Absolutely. Just a, just a quick one. Also, I feel a bit sorry for um, Zach Bailey, who just about <laughs> Bailey Smith and, you know, the celebration about ice in the veins and clutch and all that. Zach Bailey's had, you know, he, he kicked the goal. He kicked one after the siren, had the chance to, if he had been paid that free against Blixar, so that maybe there's an example of umpires influencing the game. But that was a clear, you know, the last second sort of tackle on that. He kicked that goal that could have sent the final into overtime, but then a behind. But it shouldn't have because he ran about 18 metres. And he still kicked it. So <laughs> why was that not Zach, called Zach, though? Zach, 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 Brave umpire to call it, but he definitely ran too far. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, he's had a, he's had some clutch moments, uh, Zach Bailey this this year, and you can just sort of see he's becoming one of those players you can kind of rely on. And it's almost at the point where if you're a Lions fan and the ball was loose in the forward fifty, are you, are you wanting it in Charlie Cameron's hands or Zach Bailey's hands with a bit of space? 
Yeah, it's a bit of a coin flip, I think. Hmm, interesting. Uh, speaking of the Lions, let's let's get stuck in because there's news coming out of uh, out of the Brisbane camp, despite them being knocked out of the finals. Jake, and it's one of your favourite players in Lockie Neal. Uh, he's reportedly going to be making a move back to Fremantle. Um, they're going to sit down, or he and his management and, and family is going to sit down with uh, with the Lions to sort of nut out the details later on. But this is just a few years after he requested a trade out of Perth uh, because he didn't want to be in the spotlight anymore. Um, he wanted to move um, with his partner to a place that just doesn't have the same heat that that playing in a, in a footy mad state does. And, and now he wants to go back for family reasons, but it begs the question, do players have too much power in terms of nominating where they want to be going? And, and the fact that he can sort of look at a contract that he's got two years left on and say, well, I don't want to one of this. I think there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that players now, they do have far too much power. And I think that's a problem. I think the pendulum swung, swung far, too far the other way in favor of the player I don't think the club or the player should have 100% say, but but I think it's getting to the point now where the player has pretty much every, can say whatever they want, and the club, if the club doesn't honour what they want, then it's the club that looks like they're in they're doing the wrong thing by the player. Anyone that's listened to this podcast knows how much I am a fan of Lockie Neal. I, I think he's a fantastic player, um, and it's nothing to do with Neal or any. It's it's a player issue. It's it could be anybody. But I think just saying, oh, we want to go back there now to, to raise a family, I just don't think that's a good enough reason, particularly when you're still under contract. I mean, you've signed a contract. You've got two more years left to play. That, that's the whole point of a contract. I mean, it's. I know in, in world sport, it is getting ridiculous with contracts really not meaning anything. But should that be the case? Uh, it's a good point. And obviously they would have gone through those questions amongst themselves, um, both, both Lockie and his partner at the time when they signed that contract. But uh, let me put this to you. There's a big spanner in the works and it's been this pandemic and the way that West Australia in particular and, and Lockie's partner is from Perth wouldn't have been able to see her family for two plus yeah, years now. But she's not the only one. Like I understand that. And it, and it's, it sucks for her, but it sucks for you and me and Christian and everybody else that's not been able to see friends and family and do the things that we want to do. Um, the, the the reality is, though, you know, they 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 would com- combine be making a pretty decent income, and then they have the opportunity to go back later. They when he when forget the pandemic when they decided they would move to Brisbane for for Lockie Neal to play there. They, they would have agreed, okay, we're going to go for this amount of time and that's the contract I'm going to sign. They knew what they were getting involved in. Sure, you can say that nobody expected what would happen in the last 18 months, but we've all had to deal with that. That's, just, that's not a Lockie Neal, Jules Neal issue. That's a, that's a world issue that everyone's had to, to deal with and, and work through. So I just think that we can't get to the point where the players have all the say where they can just be moving where they want to go at will and the contracts mean nothing. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we risk getting to the point where we're like, no, and I like the NBA, but the NBA is a completely different sport where the players have all the power. And let's be honest, fans don't really support teams in the NBA. You know, there's a couple, there's a, there's two or three teams that hold hold a lot of weight, but the most most people follow a, a player. You know, and if Kevin Durant's at the Warriors or uh, Brooklyn, people are going to follow Kevin Durant if they're a fan of him, regardless of if he then goes to play for 
the Hawks. So this is what we don't want to happen in the AFL, where the players have all the power. And 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 the thing that we that has always been unique with the AFL is the amount of players that play full careers at a certain club and and the, that loyalty. And I think that is really valued in Australian sport, the loyalty to a club that you don't see in international sport with players moving around all the time. Well, overwhelmingly, I think players do show a lot of loyalty. I mean, um, even even Adam Trelaw would have liked to have stayed at the Pies, if you if you remember going back, I'm pretty sure. So well, Yeah, but you, you also did start at the Giants. So. Well, yeah, so I know what you mean. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, but no, but I, I think that there's a, a point where, and I agree with you that players do have a bit of power, but I think they're probably obligated to that power considering they just don't get paid enough at this point. And you look at the average wage of, of the players in, in the league and, and it went down last year, obviously with the COVID pandemic and, and an average is, is it's, it's a, it's a strange number because it's obviously skewed by the top players that are making, you know, 900, a mil, one point, whatever per year. And then there are obviously rookies at the other end that are earning, you know, 60, 70 K or whatever it might be. And so for the most part, players that are maybe on the trade table are just not earning enough for them to be, shipped around so like i know that's one extreme and what you're talking about of players having too much is is the other extreme i think where we are now is kind of okay but um are the lions obligated to entertain this idea with with two years left on his contract they're not no, no i don't think they, they are shouldn't but, be. but the problem is if they secure, don't if they don't then yes. they're going to look like they're they're doing the wrong thing by by locking neil that so it's a lose-lose for the lions they either well, no, I think most people understand what the situation is. And if they want to play hard, well, I don't think anyone would begrudge the Lions for wanting to do that at this time. Yeah, but the problem by playing hardball is then you've got a player that doesn't want to be there in, and, and probably their best player. And then, and then future players that, that are potentially looking at, at, a, at Brisbane as an opportunity. And we're going into this phase where players are starting to think, hey, maybe I can move around for a couple of years and try, you know, have a, have a assault on a flag think well hang on i don't really want it maybe if i go and do i want to be at a club that is playing hard ball and i then can't get out of that contract so it's a lose-lose for brisbane they either they either let him go and they lose their best player or they keep him and they got a player that doesn't want to be there christian any stats that jump out to you just off the top of your head about neil leaving the lines and what he means to, the, to brisbane i think they were actually quite good without him this year. They might've gone seven and zip. Yeah. I find I just, I think that's a quirk of the system. They did. I can't, I still can't make a case that they're a better team without him. Like, again, you can, you can point to those seven zip games and sort of say, he, he was clearly playing uh, injured in some of the games he did play this year. Um, and he was still racking up 35 touches. I think I go back to the game against Carlton um, and he just looked sore from the center bounce and he still tore Carlton's midfield apart and sort of, you know, uh, across that first half, but, I mean, the stats speak to themselves. You know, he's, he's top five disposal winner and clearance winner in the time he's been at the Lions, a Brownlow medalist, you know, contributed contributed to getting them to finals and, you know, top four finishes across home and away years. So, uh, yeah, I, I just got to sort of shake my head and laugh at the seven zip stat this year without him. But, uh, yeah, that's not enough for me to make a case that they should get rid of him and they'd be better off. Uh, Jake? What, how do you think the Lions would fare if Neil was to leave? Would that mean that their window is closing? I know they're quite a young list, um, but they've had chances those these past three years and haven't been able to capitalise on some um, uh, some fortuitous circumstances, you could say. The window wouldn't be closed, but it would be... It would, it would be tougher. Like, 
look at the numbers Christian just said. He's one of the best midfielders in the competition. You take that player, that type of player out of any team, they're going to be a, they're going to be a weaker team. You know, it's not to say that they're going to be terrible. They'd still be a finalist in my opinion, but would they be fighting for a grand final? Uh, for a, for a premiership, I I don't know. Maybe because you look at you look at the list, and a lot of the talented players are still young. It's they're not a Geelong where all their talent is over thirty. A lot of their good players are young. So I still think Brisbane. I don't think it would be disastrous for Brisbane if it had to happen. I, I think they. You know, you look at players like Barry uh, Barry McCluggage, um, Lions Zorko still got a couple of years. Yeah, uh, Bailey. Andrews, Cameron, there's a lot of players that they've got a lot of good footy left in them. So I don't think it's, um, I don't think it would be disastrous, but it would certainly, it's not going to help taking your best player out of the team. Fair enough. Uh, one to watch with interest over the off season uh, when, as that draws nearer and nearer. What's your prediction? For what, sorry? Does he play, does he play at Brisbane next year? Um, I think he does. Yeah, I get the feeling that, the lines will, will sort of say, and, and I think you raised this, Jake, is as a kind of a good medium. Uh, you can still raise the child in Perth, but you might have to have the child and start its life in, in Brisbane to, to see out maybe one year of the contract and see what happens from there. Who knows? Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep an interest, an eye on that with interest. Um, speaking of interest, we had an uh, old friend of the podcast, Neil C. Wang, pointed us in the direction of a tweet from Sam Jacobs. Um, former Ruckman in the AFL. And he asked if there was a way to measure the quality of taking the ball out of the ruck as opposed to a hit out to advantage. And we thought, well, this is a great opportunity for Christian to um, uh, to dive into some stats about rucking and, and, and stuff like this. And firstly, I guess, do you guys measure taking the ball out of the ruck versus a hit out uh, and, and its sort of effectiveness? And, and what can you tell us about that sort of stat? Yep. So yeah, we do measure um, that exact stat, which we call a ruck hard. Um, and sort of the, the definition of that stat was tightened up in uh, this season. Um, so previous seasons, definition of a ruck hard was you had to be in a ruck contest um, and sort of grab the ball out of the ruck, but there had to be a contest. So the two ruckmen had to come together. There had to be another ruckman. So if you were going up unopposed, you know, the, the new nomination system, if the other team didn't nominate and you just grabbed it out of the ruck, we were just calling them loose ball gets and they were going in the exact same category as if the ball hit the ground and Lockie Neal picked it up and sort of took it away in space. It was just a loose ball get. So we tied it up this year when, yeah, there was a few more um, instances of players just grabbing the ball out of the ruck with unopposed. Um, I saw, I saw Tom, Tom Hawkins do it early in the season and called loose for it because that was the old rule and thought, nah, it was about round two. And I said, nah, we've got to call that ruck hard because this question's going to come up is how valuable is it to take the ball out of the ruck? Yeah. And previous pre 2021, we would have struggled to answer that question hundred percent because we're just missing maybe 30 to 40 a year where we've just classified as a loose ball get because they didn't have that physical contest in the ruck. Um, so that's sort of the first part of the, yeah, the question is yet yeah, we do have the stat ruck hard ball get it counts as a hard ball get, uh, which people do see in ruck, uh, stats tables and contested possessions. Um, so they're just a subcategory of that. Um, and just looking at some numbers. So yeah, Nat Nui is the, you know, the, the, the uh, number one exponent of the, the ruck hard ball get, if you like, 93 this season. Um, and the next most was Tom Hickey with 67 for the Swans. So surprised to see Tom Hickey up there because he's not someone I notice a lot a lot of it from. But, yeah, you can see Nat Nui, 26 more, um, you know, and just over four per game of uh, ruck hard, uh, hard ball gets per game. 
obviously quite noticeable with Oscar McInerney on the weekend against the Bulldogs. Um, and he's had, he had 56 across the home and away rounds. He's now up to second spot overall because he's had 16 across his two finals. And I think Tom Hickey only had one against GWS. So he's, he had 12 this week against the Bulldogs McInerney, which is the equal most in the game this season. Uh, I think um, Nat Nui did it in round 23 against Brisbane. So it's almost like McInerney's, Learned from learned from the master in the final round of the season and used it to his advantage. Well, it's a bit I, I easier to get do. over the line this week, but yeah, it, it was clear a clear tactic, and I thought it was something that that by the eye seemed to work just to be able to get the ball out of the initial congestion. Well, it's a bit easier to do against someone like Lewis Young than it is against someone like Shane Mumford. To be fair, yeah, and and <laughs> another game I did notice McInerney do it, and I so I think I brought it up on the pod as the something I noticed that week was when they played Gold Coast. Um, just early in about halfway through the season or about round 17 or something. Uh, I think he did it. Yeah. Six or seven times, but each time he grabbed it within a step, he just fired out a handball 20 meters forward of the stoppage. And it just seemed like there was always someone there like Zorko or someone sort of running forward of the ball sort of ready to, it wasn't, they were never clean handballs, but they were just, let's get it. It was just an easy 20 meters to gain from the stoppage into space. So this has obviously come about a bit more in, in recent years, given the AFL umpires are less likely to or instructed to not pay holding the ball for, for when the ruckman takes the ball out of the ruck. They're, they're given a lot of time. I think, uh, I think they're given too much time. Well, yeah, they're kind of encouraging it because you could take the ball out, take a couple of steps and struggle to get the hand pass out and it'll still be a ball up, yeah. even if you've had what would probably be classified normally as prior opportunity. But we're clearly seeing a lot of these. I mean, Matt Nui with 90 plus like it's, it's happening a fair bit, but is it effective compared to just tapping the ball? So, yeah, again, going back to the, the, the initial question that was asked was from Sam Jacobs and sort of asking to compare it to a hit out to advantage. So again, we just sort of, we, we just started a hit out. Obviously that's just winning the ball from, from that ruck contest, but there's sort of three, three, three values of a hit out. You either have a hit out to advantage, which is a clean tap to a, a teammate that gets, uh, gets possession, whether that's on the full or out in the space that he runs onto, uh, things like that. There's one that's sharked, which is basically the same, but goes to an opposition player. So you hit it into space, the opposition gets it, or you hit it straight down the opposition player's throat. And then you've got all the other hit outs, which is just neutral. It's just, you've clearly won the hit out, brought it to ground. Then there's another contest for someone to what, win. What, sorry. What, what roughly what percentage of hit outs would be to an, to advantage to a teammate? And then what would be sharked? Very rough numbers. I haven't got the exact numbers in front of me. I think it's about 30, 30 odd percent probably to advantage. Um, Shark is probably, again, off the top of my head, maybe five, 10 percent lower than that, maybe 20, maybe 10 percent lower, 20. And then again, 60 percent of, you know, I'm telling here, comes, here comes Jake with his anti ruck theory again. Contest. It's not a theory, it's reality. It's the <laughs> ruckman is so overrated. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, people again, people no, will catch on to this in 20 years' time. I'm telling you now. There will become a point where Ruckman, as we know it, aren't playing in the AFL. I don't think a good Ruckman's overrated, though. That's your problem. <laughs> Every team has one, so we're always rating 18 Ruckman because you're always watching and there's always going to be 10 or something that don't have an impact. And everyone makes the big sweeping statement of, oh, Ruckman don't mean anything. But trust me, if you've got Max Gorn, Brody Grundy, or Nick Natanui, what they can do for their team... Yeah. Um, clearly they're valuable. So yeah, going back to the question at hand anyway. But yeah, Sorry, you get a bit distracted. I sort of, yeah, I saw, again, ran the numbers for um ruck hard ball gets versus hit outs to advantage but the, again just running it by other analysts uh we champion down they just asked the question well yeah hit out to advantage is a good hit out but what's the comparison just versus a hit out so again i took it just one step um back from sam jacob's question and just sort of looked at the value of grabbing it out of the ruck versus just winning a hit out um and yeah uh, 
whether you look at clearance success rate or score percentage is slightly better to grab the ball out of the ruck. So around the ground, um, grab the ball out of the ruck, you're going to win the clearance 71% of the time. So again, we're talking, you know, 10, 15% of the time where you, as you said, they get tackled and don't get it away or they give a handball to someone and their team doesn't eventually clear it. So uh, 71% still pretty good success rate, 66% from a hit out. So win the hit out um, and your team's going to win a clearance 66% of the time. Um, looking just in your forward half again, because I feel like a ruck hard is just a lot more valuable in your forward half where you've got that forward half stoppage set up. We see Tom Hawkins do it a lot. Yeah, and, and a lot of the times you don't see a lot of teams want to move it quickly out of a defensive stoppage. You don't want to have that quick kick out of a back 50 stoppage, whereas you don't mind having a quick kick or, you know, uh, smash forward in a forward half stoppage um, and letting the ball get free. So again, looking at forward half, um, you're 66% versus 62% of ruck hard versus hit out. So the, the numbers slowly, you know, shrink a little bit, the, the gap. And then forward 50, um, it's a bit higher though. 63% of the time in the forward 50, if you grab it out of the ruck, you win the clearance, whereas 57% of the time you win the hit out, you'll win the clearance. So again, more likely to have defensive teams will have more players that are defensive 50 stoppage than the forward team. Um, so if you're just hitting the ball to ground level, there's, there's every chance that the opposition is going to have the number there. But again, going back to Sam Jacobs. So again, looking at those three sort of numbers, it's more valuable to take the ball out of the ruck than win a hit out. Yeah. But as Sam Jacobs questions asked, what about a hit out to advantage? So that's where it gets interesting. So around the ground, win a hit, as I said, take it out of the ruck, 71% clearance success rate. Win a hit out to advantage, 76% clearance success rate. So it's actually higher. But not um, too much higher. Not too much higher, but again, 10% higher than if you want to hit out. So but it that, also that, relies on that hit out being to advantage, which is hard to... You correct. Can't... So that's probably, you know, going back to the, the the question at hand is which more valuable? Well, it depends. If you back yourself to actually win a good hit out, yep. you'd rather win a hit out to advantage. But if you're unsure that, okay, every hit out I get, we're only a 50-50 chance of winning the next ball where we should be a 66% chance of winning the clearance, mm. maybe you start grabbing it out of the ruck because you, you, you're actually more valuable um, taking it out of the ruck because your hit outs are just, you know, not as clean. So it is, it's a, there's no clean answer. But again, I think a cleaner hit out to advantage at the moment still coming out on top of grabbing the ball out of the right. ruck and getting it as low as all the way. If you see so your expert opinion, if you were given a the average ruckman in the league, what would your instruction be? Uh, again, it'd be by match. It'd clearly be by you again running the numbers against the <laughs> opponent. And Oscar McInerney, um, yeah. I would have said to him, "Yeah, let's let yeah." He would have been one of that. Would have been uh, saying to grab it out of the ruck to start with, because again, the Bulldogs first present Libba McRae. Yeah. Um, you know, even Bont sometimes in there, they're, they're waiting at your feet. So if we can actually get it out and away from them and get the ball moving into our half first, uh, and again, it, it all goes down to if you're 70, 80 metres out from goal and what you're grabbing it and trying to kick it forward to our forwards, if you're in the defence, just keep hitting it to the ground because, you know, there's sort of, the, again, the, the numbers for score percentages don't change much from a ruck hard versus a hit out from, um, you know, the whole ground the closer you get to goal, it's more valuable to grab the ball out of the ruck than just winning the old hit out. So yeah, some, some sort of yeah, little quirks in the numbers. And again, only one year's worth of like real data we could use, but yeah, it does. It would make a ruck coach um, have to think, yeah, there is certain mm. matchups where a tactic can work a certain way um, depending on, yeah, the, the, op the opposing ruckman in the midfield at the feet below you. Fortunate that you started uh, recording that stat this year with uh, a bit more intensity. Is it is it strange to sort of say, I think you said in round two or three, you decided that you needed to 
to really focus on it and actually define the, the ruck hard. Yeah, and it was. It, and so again, do you go back then to the those round one games and recall yes. them? Yeah. Yep. So all the 2021 we've cleaned up. Um, it might be something we do in the off season and we might be able to get back another three or four years or something of trying to find these. And, you know, we might have three or four years worth of data. Um, what, a, what a fun way to spend the off season. Well, it is. It's something we've got. <laughs> and it was that round two when we all clearly realised, okay, this is an antiquated definition. The game, you know, we need to know how. And yep. it, was, it was clearly a Tom Hawkins thing. And we noticed it in the finals last year. So we're missing a couple where if Trent McKenzie nominates and Trent McKenzie doesn't go in the ruck against him and just stays down and tries to smother him or tackle him straight away, we're calling those loose. So it was a big call because we said, well, we can't compare old numbers. That's the, the problem is, you know, it's a good solution. We, we, we tighten up the stat and have a better definition, but then it means we can't compare to previous year's numbers. So it's the call we had to make. Uh, it's rare, but it's something, yeah, as you said, we have to throw up. But again, you spoke about the the change in um, ruling of uh, prior opportunity. That was a big one to change this stat, but also the yep. third man up. It was very, very yep. close towards the end of uh, the third man up days for ruck hard leaders to be those, you know, like Jordan Lewis would just jump up and catch it above the ruckman's head 15, 20 times across the season. That would be a little bit more. And you'd see Sandy Lands doing it a lot less because he was. He was getting two guys jumping in at him each time. So the numbers have evolved across the year just because the games and the rules have changed around it too. Interesting. I guess you could kind of almost call it the Tom Hawkins rule. Um, do you have any other rules that you'd name after players if you could? No, well, the original the one Grant. was the lead, the lead mark we had uh, was that was always the Nick Rewalt mark. We brought in lead marks because yep. Nick Rewalt just took so many of them. So we were close <laughs> to naming that the Rewalt mark. But yeah, that's, that's probably an example of one. There you go. Uh, Jake, we touched on the lines a bit before, but we've also, the Giants were also unfortunate losers from semi final weekend. If you had to rate the seasons, of those two clubs, who would you give a higher grade to? Uh, out of the Giants and the Lions? Yeah. Oh, I think the Giants pretty comfortably. Really? You wanted I Leon think... Cameron sacked three weeks ago. I didn't want him sacked. I said he's probably under a lot, fair bit of pressure. And it wasn't He said he was a ago. dead man walking. Yeah, I did say that. But that was longer <laughs> than three weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, um, they had well, a strong hang on a minute, finish. Hang on. Let's be honest. Did anyone expect... The Gi- look, I certainly didn't. I didn't expect the Giants to ma- to play finals, especially after losing Jeremy Cameron. You know, more injury. They, they, I've, I don't know if there's a club that's had more injury issues over the last sort of four years than than the Giants. Um, again, being in Sydney, having to play a lot on the road, I think they've done a very good job. I, look, credit where it's due. I know I've been critical yeah. of Leon Cameron, but in all seriousness, no, I think... I think the Giants have had a, a very good season. I think you could almost give them an A. I think they've done a fantastic job. To, to We said at the start of the year on our ESPN pass marks for each team would be for them to tread water. Well, they've more than done that. They've taken another step forward. They've found some good young players. Um, they won a final. And let's be honest, they, they gave the Cats a scare. And I looked at that forward line they had. That's going to be the worst forward line that's ever played in a final. I mean, seriously, they, they did well to, to kind of give Geelong any kind of a scare. Um, I think at full strength, if they're able to get all their players on the park together at full strength, I think they can they can be a good side. I really do. I think Brisbane, just, just to, to grade Brisbane, so I'd probably be looking at giving the Giants a B plus close to an A. Brisbane, I'm looking at, at, at a D. I think it was a really disappointing finish to Brisbane. They started the season poorly. They were very patchy. They didn't play as well as they have in previous years. They didn't look as dominant as they had. Um, and yet again, a very disappointing finals campaign. So 
you know, if, if Lockie Neal is to leave, I think the whole the year as a whole has to be looked at as a C or a D. Oh, yeah, I would, I'd, I'd agree with you uh, all the way up until you started talking about Brisbane. So I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't mark him that harshly. But going back to the Giants, um, I was going to say, yeah, the, especially post buy, they their game first game after the buy was a draw against North Melbourne. So, you know, that was probably not, you know, bottom team at that stage probably didn't go as planned, but. Uh, they only lost, you know, four games for the rest of the season against, you know, a three-goal loss to Hawthorne wasn't great. One-point loss and 26-point loss to Sydney, 27-point loss to Port Adelaide. So, for me, though, that post-buy, the injuries, um, suspensions, the, the ins and outs that they had, again, that, you know, they started the season five and six and weren't looking great pre-buy. That The post-buy is probably one of the periods in the last four or five years where the Giants can, yeah, definitely walk away and hold their heads high. And so, we faced a lot of adversity and probably played better than, anyone would have expected them to during that time. So, I, yeah, I, I rate their second half of the season. Yeah, yeah, Jake said probably a B plus. You'd almost go A minus if you're just looking post-buy. Because I, I think it was, yeah, again, they, they won me over. I, I wasn't convinced with them uh, first half of the year. I thought, yeah, they're just going to be a... Well, they lost their first three games, didn't they? Yeah. They did, yeah. yes. They looked... They looked corner, as you said, but yeah. The, fantastic the turnaround. Um, with the injuries they had. That Even going back to the round 20, when was it? Round 21 win against Geelong. Uh, with the ten team changes, things like that, I, I feel like they that was that was just one instance of where they sort of yeah should have shown their fight and overcome adversity. And you're right, like uh, in terms of what they lost in the off season, but they've been able to plug the holes pretty well. And I've been getting games into Isaac Cumming, Lockie Ash, uh, Connor Ide, and these sorts of guys who have been quite impressive and have, have filled the spots pretty well. I think. Well, I think well what are you grading them? I, I'm was... giving them a B. Yeah, I think a B is pretty pretty. You give them a B. Well, then what are you giving Brisbane? Because you were surprised when I said that the Giants were... Even Brisbane an A. Well, no, I was surprised in the context of where you thought the Giants were about five or six weeks ago. Um, oh, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking... Brisbane's interesting because you look at the last three years as a whole and you think, geez, what a wasted opportunity um, that they've, they've sort of had these top four finishes and just haven't been able to even get to a grand final. Uh, especially in 2020 when it was going to be a, you know, quote unquote home grand final. I think you've got to be really disappointed, but the Lions faced adversity too. At the start of the season when COVID really wasn't a big issue, it was in Queensland for a while and they spent um, three weeks on the road uh, on really short notice and, and really did quite well. And then they were okay for a while. They were sort of that fourth or fifth best team in it. And then, you know, came home late with a flurry and were good enough uh, to take that fourth spot when, and when it was required. Um, and look, I know straight sets isn't isn't a, a great look, uh, and it's and it's you know one and five in finals in this time. But uh, in isolation, given the season that they had overall, for them to sort of make finals and get within a point of the dogs, and really they didn't do a lot wrong. They were three goals up with about five minutes left in the last in the third quarter against mm. the dogs, and probably shouldn't have squandered that. But you know, a couple of moments either way or a bounce either way here and there. You oh, that's the thing. Does that, that last center clearance, it goes the other way. They win by a point and then we, we instead correct. of saying a D or a C, we're saying a B or potentially an A if they're in the grand final. So it does come down to such fine margins. But ultimately, as you say, for them to, for them to not to period, have reached yeah. a grand final in that last three years, considering how how well they've played at times and the, the, the players that they've brought in and the, yeah. the expectation, I think last year was the one I don't like using the word wasted or anything like that. Cause I feel like only one team can win a flag each year. It's, tough. We, it's hard to win a flag. It's like everyone else failed, but it's like, yeah. I don't really see it that way. But last year did feel like a blown opportunity because how often are you ever going to have a grand final at your home venue? If um, you're not a Victorian club. So, yeah. So, uh, 
but we're having it again this year. Um, and obviously no, no Perth based teams going to be in it, but um, who knows? <laughs> it might be the same again next year. <laughs> uh, moving on to the prelims, a couple of interesting games. I think there's clearly a better contest in these prelims, Jake, especially given uh, one team will be at, you know, with a, a Bontempelli, if he plays at, a, at maybe 60, 70%, um, against against Port, there'll be no Cody Waitman, who's been a real live wire and a spark in that dogs forward line the last month or so without Josh Bruce. Um, clearly, the, the the D's and the Cats is the is the better contest. But does that mean that they're going to spend all their tickets this week instead of uh, in the big dance? Oh, who knows? But I think yeah, I, th- I think that's the the prelim. There always feels like a not a better prelim, but uh, <laughs> the that feels like the winner will certainly start as the the overwhelming fav- favorite for the grand final. I, I, th- I would imagine the winner of that game would win the grand final, but who knows? You can m- certainly make a case for Port being the best team in the last two years that no one's spoken about. Yeah. Um, and the Bulldogs, well, we only have to look back five years to see what they did from outside the top four. So it's certainly not over, but I would, I would say that the winner of Melbourne and Geelong is, is in a better position. But as you said, who knows how they get there? I mean, you could have, you could pick up injuries. It could be a grueling game. Uh, and I think it will be. And we only have to look back a few weeks ago just to that strange, strange game between them where the Cats were up by seven goals and just stopped. And to be honest, they they did a similar thing against the Giants. They just were kind of fortunate that the Giants didn't have as much talent and weren't able to to run them down. But if they they certainly need to ensure that they play the game out. They can't they can't do what they did last time or it'll be a similar result. And I, I wouldn't have thought that they'll find themselves down by seven goals Melbourne this time around. You look at two of the better key forwards in the competition, Hawkins, Jeremy Cameron, and then you look at probably arguably the two best key backs in the competition, well, Lever and May. I mean are they the two best key forwards and key backs? Well they're two of the Maybe, you know, it depends where you want to draw the line and look yeah, at the all Australian you, sides and all that sort of stuff. You but. could certainly make the case that they are. So, so I mean, who, Christian, in, in finals, you, you know, the, the classic is defence wins championships. And I think that's, you know, it's across a many codes that you can kind of um, say this sort of thing. But are you leaning towards the Ds because of the way that their defence has been in, in 2021? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that, that's a big saying. But again, we've, we've probably thrown around one recently. We're sort of starting to look at is it's turnovers turnovers win finals and that's mm-hmm. that's having a lot of them so Geelong's problem is not problem but all year long Geelong sort of play yeah nice clean footy they, they bully teams at the stoppages they win clear uh, contested possessions very rarely lose a stat and then they slow the game down and they turn the ball over the fewest of any team um, and where someone like Melbourne they had the fourth most turnovers of any side so that's having the ball and giving it back to the opposition so the negative side of it in finals, turnovers always go up and you need to be prepared for that style of game. And it felt like that's something that got Geelong um, against Port Adelaide. And it's got them in previous games against Melbourne is even in the round four game, Melbourne forced 75 uh, turnovers from Geelong and sort of beat them by, I think, you know, almost five goals in that game. Uh, the round 21 game we sort of spoke about where Geelong was beaten by GWS. They, they had 75 turnovers that game as well. And they had 60 odd against Port Adelaide. So high turnover games don't suit Geelong as much as sort of when they can control the play. Um, and as I said, if you look at average turnovers in a home and away game versus finals game, they sort of, they do go up in finals. It's hard to have sort of perfect footy, um, especially in, you know, week, the second, third and fourth week of finals is where, yeah, chaos footy. You need to be good at chaos footy to stand up. Um, and, uh, you know, heard Chris Scott talk about it. They would have taken a lot out of the 
the last couple of times they played and, you know, they sort of asked him, I think they asked Goodwin about and he said he wouldn't take much out of it. And they asked Scott about it and he said, well, clearly we'll take a lot. And I think that was, that was it for three quarters. They controlled the tempo of the play. That fourth quarter, Melbourne came at him, um, came at him strong and fast. And yeah, Geelong just couldn't hold up. So again, another little sort of, you know, tidbit stats. So the number one and two for con- uh, contested possession differential this year. So the best at winning it. Geelong are 18th for kicking the ball forward. Melbourne are fourth. So Melbourne want to get it, go forward, sort of hit you up. You know, they do protect the, the defence by holding the ball forward. Whereas Geelong, yeah, they'll, they'll win it at the contest, maybe flick it sideways and hope to slow it down. So again, for me, I'd be watching the t- if it's, yeah, the more chaotic and the more turnovers it are, I think the more the more that favours Melbourne. Uh, but you're right, it's just, it's a it's an interesting matchup in prelim because they've got, both got game styles that clearly hold up if they can, if they can get it played on their terms. Uh, a winner and a margin. Oh, uh, yeah, I'll probably go Melbourne just again, just taking over form for 23 weeks. I think Melbourne's been the better team all season uh, by let's say 11. I hope it's closer. Jake. Uh, 11 is pretty close. I would say, yeah, I think Melbourne wins, um, which goes against my prediction of Geelong winning the flag, but I do think they will win the game. Um, uh, I'll say 16 points. I think, yeah, I think Melbourne, as Christian said, I think they've been a better team. And it's it's funny, usually you forget the the qualifying final winners because you you move on, you have the same thing. Oh, gee, Geelong played well, but I don't think you can forget how well Melbourne played against Brisbane. They they really tore them up in that game, and I think Spot on. I think if if Mel if the Cats can't control uh, or get on top of Oliver um, and Petrarca in the middle, I just don't see any way that they're going to be able to beat them. Because as you say, Christian, they get the ball and they they just want to go forward straight away. Um, and if players like Ben Brown, uh, Tom McDonald can can just can just play their roles. It's gonna, they're going to kick a score. Um, Bailey Fritch will kick his goals, and that, I think they're going to be hard to beat Melbourne. I, I, they just look too good in that qualifying final. Yeah, I, I think I think I think you agree. I think um, the D's have shown that they can play a, a brand of footy that will put teams under pressure. And as you say, Christian pressure in finals is is golden. And and I think the D's maybe by three goals in the end. Um, Though I wouldn't be surprised, as you say, Jake, I think I had Geelong winning the flag at the start of the year in my preseason prediction, so it would be bittersweet um, either way. I think it's uh, it'll be an interesting matchup, and, and as you say, the winner of this clash will probably go into the grand final as the favourite. Yeah, um, it's funny because I think we've all said Melbourne, but I don't think we'd be very surprised no. if we sit here next week and Geelong have won it by 10 points. So, Whereas we'd probably be surprised if it was the Dogs who would somehow upstage port i mean port have the true home ground advantage for this prelim uh, the dogs as we mentioned are going to be underdone there'll be no waitman there'll be a bontempelli if he plays at a certain you know maybe 60 70 percent you talk about the top four finish and how valuable it is and the, the dogs are going to find this out this week because whereas they'll have players out of the side um you know you, the port might get georgiardi's back for this this prelim and it just goes to show that 30 seconds worth of footy at the end of the season can mean the difference between cruising through to a pre or not cruising, but getting through to a prelim pretty unscathed and having to battle your way up from fifth. Mm. Yeah, it does. And that's the difference. And just, as I said before, you know, you, it's very easy to forget the qualifying final winners because we haven't seen them in a while, but you go back to, to port 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 
looked really good as well. You know, as just as as good as Melbourne did. They played a very very good game. They deserved they deserved their top four finish and they deserved their qualifying final win. Um, having said that, I do think looking at the odds for the game and even the other game too, I think both Melbourne and Port are they're, they're too short. I think I think Mel I think the Cats and the Dogs both are certainly capable of winning these games. I don't see them as that much there. I don't see them as huge outsiders. I, I think Melbourne and Port should be favourite. But well, up up until 30 seconds ago in the season, this was the top four. Yeah. I, I think I think they are the best four teams. Hmm. I, I just think the Bulldogs had a, a really I mean it's not what I think they clearly did. They had a they had a bad last month and that cost them. Um so yeah I, I think they can cause an upset. It will come down to Bond and Pally. I mean, if he doesn't play, I don't think they can they can win. Um, even though he hasn't been in spectacular form of late, I still don't think they're going to win without him. But it, look, even if he plays, I'd probably still be taking the safer option of Port Adelaide at home, rested, um, than a battered and bruised Bulldogs side. But I mean, again, like I said before about the Cats, look what the Bulldogs did cup five years ago. Would we be, really be surprised if they make the grand final? I know Rowan's sort of. He's he's hit Rowan Connolly's sort of predicting that the, the Bulldogs might get over the line this weekend too. Christian, anything in the stats suggests that the dogs can exploit something of Port Adelaide's? Uh, so again, uh, just going quickly back to the home ground advantage, it's just, yeah, the interesting thing to note is three of the past five have gone Bulldogs way at Adelaide Oval. So yeah, well, they beat them. Yeah, no, I, I give a lot yeah. of credence to the week. You know, you summed it up perfectly in Georgiatis, out Waitman and maybe a dodgy Bonds and Pally and, you know, those two had injuries before the qualify, uh, before the semifinals. So that swings it huge for me, but yeah, it, it goes back to the two games they played this year. Um, the, the second game they played, it was very, very low scoring, but it was quite open. Um, and again, very unfinals like, and that's the game port one by two points. There was a few, um, you know, some brilliant individual, brilliant moments in that game that sort of just, you know, got them over the line um, late, but it was, it was a very slow moving. It was very Geelong like game. I think there was two, over 200 marks taken in that game, but you know, only 120 points kicked between the two teams earlier in the season. It was, yeah, slightly more high scoring. I think there was only 140, 150 marks taken slightly more stoppages and ball ups and it went the Bulldogs way. So um, I think the Bulldogs want it to be again, if you, throw up that more chaotic style that that seems to work for them against Port Adelaide. Uh, but for, yeah, to me, the, the main note I've made is just again, yeah, the Bonson Pally injury and let's hope he's hundred percent and he, you know, he plays it like the star he is. But to me, it was a lot of it was going to come down to just, I could see this final being just about individual brilliance. We saw Bailey Smith, what he did, could he do it again? Libba early, those first two goals he kicked for the Bulldogs and how, how he got them. And um, I thought, you know, he's another player that could step up. But then you look at Port, Boak, Wines, Rosie, Butters, uh, you know, even one of the key fours of Norton or Dixon from either end. So Robbie, to me, Robbie Gray's Robbie Gray. You know, yeah, Robbie, sorry. <laughs> yeah, probably forgot the the obvious one. Aaliyah, Aaliyah down back where the can grab his eight. Yeah. In you forget about them because they, they me, haven't played. Was, That's the thing. Yeah. And to me, this is the final of Melbourne Geelong. Yeah, great styles and which team's going to win. I feel like this final could just have someone that just, where we just go, how good was Ollie Wines in that set? You know, it will be more about an individual may stand out more in this prelim. It's just just the feeling I get. Do you have a, a winner and a margin for us? I'll go. Yeah. Again, just <laughs> recent, recent form and recent news. I've put by 25 at the moment. And again, I, I hope I'm wrong, but yeah, 
Second half of the year, again, just another little stat that I sort of looked at. Second half of the year, Port number one on the form ladder, Bulldogs ninth. Um, so, you know, clearly as the season's worn on, Port's gotten better. So, yeah, probably down by just over four goals for me. I was going to say, I think I think the Bulldogs will either win by two points or Port will win it by about 45. I, I think it could go one, one of those two ways. If it's close, I think the Bulldogs will win, but I do think it could get away from them. I think Port could, if they start well, Port, I think they could really put this game get this game sort of done by halfway through the third quarter. Don't want it to happen. Um, want it to be close. Uh, but I, if I, for, for a bit of a value sort of a bet, I would be saying Port by yeah, about 46 points. I think they could really do a number on them. Yeah, okay. I'm going to go with my heart instead of the head, and I'm going to say Port by three points. The dogs run them close, but get overrun by a Robbie Gray winner with about a minute to go. <laughs> Couldn't, could it? <laughs> just, just probably not, but justified hype or hyperbole, uh, the segment where we'll say a statement. You guys tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole. Let's whip through these because we've gone a bit long. Christian, Ben King was not in the Suns' best 10 players this season. Uh, if I point to the numbers, he was, but surprisingly <laughs> 10th. And uh, we did a pre-pod. Hey, I really lost the nine names ahead 10. of him. Um, exactly. So that's why my answer was yes. But uh, yeah, took Miller, Greenwood. This is player ratings uh, totals across the year. So again, this obviously comes back to Ben King missing out on the top 10 uh, of his club's BNF. Uh, yeah, just looking at the Gold Coast players for player ratings ahead of him. Miller, Greenwood, Will Powell, Lukosius, Swallow, Collins, Noah Anderson, Charlie Bella, Jack, Jack Bowes. Again, comes back to the All-Australian, those discussions of you can always try to throw someone into a list, but who are you going to take out ahead of him? Um, yeah. 47 goals in the season. Yeah, And, and he's not cracking right. the top 10 of the best and fairest. Exactly. I can argue with myself. Is, I know it sounds twice as many as anyone else at the club, and he still misses top 10. But <laughs> I, I still think I'm comfortable with, yeah, him sitting probably 8th to 10th for his season this year at the club. Okay. Jake, any thoughts? You, uh, you I think I, I would probably have him a touch higher. Um, I think it sounds crazy, but... The reason why I think he probably won't feature highly in those sort of rankings and ratings is because he is a goal kicker and he's not the kind of key forward that does a lot of other things on the ground. I mean, you, you can be happy with that. You don't need him to do other things, but he's not a player that's going to be getting 16, 17 touches and tackling and doing all these other things that are going to sort of make him look to have a better year. But as far as a goal kicker goes, particularly in the first half of the year, he was fantastic. Well, he was in discussions for our mid-year All-Australian team, if I remember correctly. Jake, we spoke of him before. Uh, Bonson Pally at 60% is better than the Dogs' 23rd or 24th player. And he should play if he's around about 60%. Two different questions. 60%, I reckon, should he play? 60 is a feels a touch low. I reckon if he was 70, I'd be saying, yeah, play at 70%. It's such but an he, arbitrary. I know. But, I, is, it, <laughs> but is, he, is he better? I mean... Probably not. I mean, let's be honest. Like, I, I know, again, it, it does feel a bit, it's, it's, it's a bit of an insult to whoever the 23rd best player is, right? <laughs> He's not that much better. It's like saying, Usain Bolt at 50% is better than, than the ninth best sprinter in the world. Well, no, no way. You're taking the piss. So, no, I, I think no. But if he's at 70%, you want him playing. I mean, in a final, the thing is, if he is at 70% and he says, I don't want to play, do you have do you respect that? Or does the club say, no, you got to play? <laughs> Who makes that call? Is it him or the club? I mean, well, I'm sure he wants to play, but 
let's ask Josh Dunkley when he's on the podcast yeah. next, which we'll, could be uh, could be next week. We should tr- we will try and get him on. Yeah. Um, just as a little plug. Yeah, we haven't we'll told him, get yet, him on. <laughs> we'll either be talking about a grand final or a heartbreaking prelim loss. Hopefully, the <laughs> former. <laughs> uh, good one. Uh, last one, really quickly. We've seen the last day grand final on the East Coast now that uh, the AFL's confirmed a seven pm ish Eastern time start for the second consecutive grand final christian yeah i'll answer this one as a pro day grand finalist in the past but yeah, i was i was big on I, I was happy with saturday afternoon being a grand final but again if if now if it was ever going to change now's the time to change it don't don't go back to a day grand final for two years and try to change it again if we've got two night grand finals in a row just keep it going and um yeah i, I can see it making sense now if we're ever going to change it now's the time i disagree i'm still staunchly Give me the red ball footy. Give me a three o'clock bounce or a two ten even, but um, can't see it happening. Uh, thanks, guys. Good chat this week. Uh, sorry we have run a little bit long. Uh, don't forget, Ask Champion Data is next week. So at Footy Tips on Twitter or hashtag Ask Champion Data. Get your questions in. We'll make sure that we get around to them. Jake, anything before we go? Uh, yep. Get your questions in. Lots to answer. I'll have my questions too. I, I come to Christian with about two or three every week, so I'll, <laughs> I'll have my couple. And also, don't forget our uh, Brownlow Medal special which will be coming up in uh next thursday not this thursday thursday. next thursday so yeah nine days so um we'll have some some good tips and and some stuff there for the brownlow medal which will be fun cool thanks guys uh to everyone home we will speak to you in the next one listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the espn footy pod wherever you get your podcasts